everyone, and welcome to another episode of We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. As always, I'm your host, Brandon, here with Paul. Yo, yo, what's up, people? Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad to do this. I feel like it's been a minute, but even though but you guys are hearing it in a row, so you guys are really understand it, but, uh, you know, uh, it's time, so uh, let's get it. Let's go. All right, and Dan. Yeah, let's get started. All right, uh, as always, Twitter at WWSC underscore podcast. Uh, we, I barely ever look at that anymore. <laughs> I just, I'm not good with social media. Um, yeah, we're on season two, episode 25, Bread and Circuses. Original air date was March 15th, 1968. And we're just going to go ahead and get into it with the Enterprise uh, flying around. And everybody's on the bridge, you know, where they usually hang out. Uh, but for some reason, they're all just looking at Kirk and Spock. Like, it was Bro, a really weird I, opening. Everybody's I, I, just I wrote down a note. I was like, they look frozen. Like, something's wrong. Like, I think they made a mistake in this episode right at the beginning. Like I, I don't know why like like they're not looking, dude. They actually look frozen. Like they they are just like intently staring. It, it, it's weird. Like nobody's moving or blinking or nobody's moving. Nothing. It's just very very weird. I don't know. I don't like it. Well, the, I, what they don't tell you, they're in the middle of a game of Marco Polo. Bro, I swear I thought they were going to be like there's going to be like a, a freeze ray aimed at them, and I was like, oh, this episode's going to start out really weird, like a freeze ray at the beginning. Like what's going on? And oh, like, that would have been cool. They, but they were they were truly like if you look if you look for that like as the um, as the cameras grow for the first like that like three seconds nobody is moving. I thought I thought there was a glitch or something like nobody truly blinked nobody did nothing so I thought it was a freeze ray. It's very weird. Yeah, I thought like just something really interesting was happening, but they're just like waiting for Spock to give a reading on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought like maybe somebody was like turning into a giant crab or something, but no, just. <laughs> Just waiting on a reading. Uh, but yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah. Spock's taking a reading, and he tells Kirk that there's no doubt that the space debris that they've apparently encountered is uh, coming from the survey vessel, the SS Beagle. And Kirk, who knows everything about every ship ever, uh, remarks that that ship has been missing for six years and that it's just junk in space right now. Spock says that he's seeing portions of the nacelles and personal belongings, but he's not seeing any bodies. So Kirk assumes that the crew was able to get off safely before the ship was destroyed. So Kirk then tells uh, Chekhov to compute the drift wreckage, and Chekhov's like, yeah, I already did that. Like, I, I do my job, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk asks uh, Spock then to assume that the wreckage drifted at the same speed and uh, direction for the last six years, and Spock says that it would have come from Planet 4, Star System 892, directly ahead of them. So Chekhov notes that it's only one sixteenth parsec away, and they should be there in just a couple of seconds. And Kirk's like, all right, let's assume standard orbit around the planet, because there might be some survivors there. And then Spock says that the SS Beagle was a small Class Four vessel with a crew of 47, and was commanded by someone that Kirk knew, because he knows everybody. And it was he does. Captain R.M. Merrick is the guy's name. So Kirk's like, oh yeah. Merrick was at the academy, but he dropped in his fifth year and went into the merchant service. That makes me that makes me um curious how how um small captain classes are, right? Like you know he he got dropped in his fifth year. I wonder how many because um that's interesting. Said he got dropped in his fifth year, implying that the process to be a captain takes longer than five years, right? Or at least five, yeah. At, at least five years. Yes, yeah, so I'm curious about what. The psychological stuff they got to go through, whatever, to be a, a captain. Because you know, when he, later on, you see how how he's not captain worthy. So you're, I'm curious if like 
the captain process. Now my new show is Star Trek Captain, where we meet a, a new captain <laughs> <laughs> who goes through the Captain Academy so we can see what what they have to go through to become a captain. Because I'm curious. I, I like we always see the captains, but we don't know we don't know Captain Schooling. Just, yeah. just as we don't know cadet schooling. So we're like, there's two things. There's two things that will be interesting to see: the cadetting, the the uh, regular cadets. And then a then an officer or like a somebody who's going to be a captain and see what they have to go through in some how many years it takes in, the, in a major way. I'm curious. Um, I'm pretty sure I read something like a month ago. I think there is like a Star Trek Academy show coming up. Like I I think that they stole our idea and they are doing something from like the <laughs> point of view of like just getting into the academy. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like we need to be credited for that because there's no way. Yes. There's there's no possible way they came up with that idea before us, right? Like we had to be the very first. There's no way any people that work in Star Trek ever had that idea first. It's only if, ours. if Star Trek Detective comes out, I will I will copyright infringe yeah, that. Okay? Then then yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be like, hey, I'll I'll get on our our Twitter for once. I'll also, say, why is hey that was us? Also, why is the same standard not held to uh, the security? Like, what well, takes five years yeah, to become no a shit. captain? Like, how long does it become a security guard? Like, here's your gun. You're good to go. Well, yeah. it takes, you know, several years of college to become a teacher and, like, three weeks of training to become a cop. So they so- apparently <laughs> held on to that throughout <laughs> all yeah, the years. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I did notice the Earth-like planet troll, by the way, too. Yes, always. That, that's one of Brandon's biggest complaints is that we're always going to Earth-like planets with the oxygen to uh, submit us uh, so we can survive all the time, which is kind of weird. Perfect timing on that, because Chekhov announces that they're coming up on the planet, and Kirk's like, put it on the screen. So then they look at it, and it's an Earth-like planet, and uh, Chekhov informs them that it's Class M, and it's somewhat similar to Earth. Kirk notes that the land masses and oceans are quite different, which, why wouldn't they be? But Spock says that they're different in shape only, but the portion of land to water is exactly the same as on Earth. Spock then goes on, he lists some readings, like, and some facts about the planet's atmosphere. I'm not going to go through them all. Basically, he says that it's exactly like Earth. And uh, he says he's picked up indications of large cities. So Kirk just wonders what era they're in, and Spock says there's no sign of atomic power yet. So they're far enough along for radio communications, and they have power transport or transportation, and they've got an excellent road system. So Ahura is then like, hey guys, there's an amplitude and frequency modulation being used, and she thinks that she's picking up something visual. She says it's a news broadcast using something she thinks they once called video. Like, <laughs> guys, you use video all the time. You're you, you're literally using it right now to look at this planet on your screen. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? No, they, they, something they, they, once they, called they, video. They, they, they only know it by screaming. Yeah, like, you watched Kirk fight a lizard <laughs> monster in pay-per-view. Like, you know what video screen is. Babies. They're stream babies. They're like, what's basic cable? Like, <laughs> so something called video. You know, oh, you mean the thing that you see all the time when you talk to people that aren't on your ship? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. There's a better way. There's a better way to do that. We know. We let we let it go. And Spock's like, oh yeah, that was television. So Kirk has her put it on the screen, and then they see 45 minutes of commercials and 15 minutes of the show that they were watching, and they forget what they were even watching. <laughs> So they see uh, they see a news report of armed men taking a man from a building as others watch. And I was like, man, is this going to be like another Nazi thing? But it turns out it's not another Nazi thing. And the reporter explains that the police have rounded up another group of dissidents and authorities are unable to explain the outbreaks of treasonable disobedience by well-treated, well-protected, intelligent slaves. Like, those damn slaves, they have everything they could want. <laughs> what are they doing disobeying? What are they complaining about? Yeah. yeah, that's funny. 
Well, honestly, as this episode goes along in a minute with a a thought process, like the slave thing on this isn't that crazy. Like, like that's one thing about this show. Like, it's very good at making unrealistic thing kind of realistic in a way. Like this whole society, they they start putting that right. It seems plausible, actually. Yeah, I mean, their slaves basically had a union. Yeah, like, (laughs) like. Like, like, look, we want fed. We don't want to be whipped. Well, it's, yeah. it's interesting that they they noted that no matter what and no matter how somebody treated somebody, eventually somebody would be, get rights. And I'm like, I don't know yeah. if it's like that. They then go into sports and uh, they show two men fighting with swords in an arena as the uh, reporter talks about the arena games and the first heat uh, involving amateurs that are just petty thieves from the city prison. Then the video shows one guy uh, knocking the other guy over, and then he just stabs him. And the reporter says that the second heat had a more professional display, and the spirit of their splendid past gladiator, Cladius Marcus, uh, killed the, the last of the barbarians, which would be William B. Harrison. And the video shows two men in ancient armor just, like, fighting it out. Uhura says that she lost the transmission, and Kirk wonders if they're seeing a 20th century Rome and Spock says the one described as a barbarian is listed in the computer as Flight Officer William B. Harrison of the SS Beagle. And they're like, dun, dun, dun. And then Kirk tells him, he's like, that's enough for me. Like, we're in a transporter room. We're going we're gonna to go down. And then we get the show opening from there. I, my first complaint goes, I said, Kurt's in his awesome shirt. But I said this, change your clothes. Why yes. isn't there more emphasis on us changing our clothes to what they're wearing? Anywhere. Like a clothes planet. generator, like, oh, hey, I need Roman-style clothes. Yeah, I just, like, th- this time it hit me. Like, I, I've all episodes been watching, whatever. Very rarely did it change the, to the clothes of the place they're going. Like, if the prime directive is not to interfere, why are we wearing Why are we wearing our Star Trek gear instead of their clothes? Yeah, and to that end, uh, they changed their clothes for that, like, one time. Remember during the, the Nazi thing when they were beaming McCoy down and they're like, tell the computer to put him in, yep. you know, Nazi era shit. And then he came down in that stuff and his boot didn't fit right. So they have the technology and they have the capacity to do it. They just yeah. never do it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very weird, like it's very weird complaint for me this time that I really noticed for the first time in this episode before they went down there. Because I don't know why I noticed this time. I was like, yo, why are they changing clothes? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. That's my two complaints about them. Uh, beam outside of the, the city. And wear different clothes. That's my two things they should do for a show so smart. I don't understand why they always don't do those two things, or or not a show so smart, more like a group, like those the people too smart to do something, not do these those two things. Well, so they they did do the one of the two things this time because they yes. beamed down on top of a mountain. Yeah, they been they be, yeah. they been outside. Yep, but at the same time, like when they get when they get approached by the guys, and then later on, Kurt says, "Uh, Enterprise, how many people are near us?" You didn't know that before you beamed on yeah, there? Yeah, they didn't do it beforehand. Yeah. You didn't scan that before you went down there? So you can see how people were yeah. down there? Like you, you, you got that ability, which I didn't know we even had this whole time. I was like, yo, you didn't scan before we go down there? Because we could land in front of group. Like, this whole time we could have yeah. been landing I mean, away from people. We knew they could have because in the first episode with the salt vampire, they literally scanned the entire planet to try to find the thing. Yeah. So, like, we knew they could do that. Yeah, yeah but like. Uh, apparently, it, apparently, uh, unless you're a captain, you have no training. They just put you on the ship and like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. I like me. to I, think I, that they're like, he's like, we're going to beam down and. You know, Scotty's like, well, or somebody up there is like, you want us to, like, we should scan to see if there's anybody down there. And Kirk's like, nah, I'm feeling saucy today. Like, let's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, I'm gonna have some play fun it today. by ear. Like, let's just go down. <laughs> let's, let's, go, let's go and have some fun. 
Yeah, that's what I'm it's just really small, like real small, uh, subtle. Like I don't understand why they do. Like for a show so smart and a group of people so smart, why they do some dumb things, like really, really well, unintelligent things. I'll tell you why. We find out just after the show opening here because this episode was co-written by Gene Roddenberry himself. Oh, of course. Do you remember Dude. what happened with the Omega Dude, Glory? Dude, I can write the worst episode. How sad is that? I see his name on the screen in the writing one, and I'm like, oh. Did he do the Nazi? He, no, he did the American flag when That was terrible. Yeah, the Omega Glory, yes. Yeah, oh, man, that was terrible, man. Yeah. yeah. And so as soon as I saw that, I was like, Great, like what? How are we gonna ruin this? How are we gonna ruin this? <laughs> and then I found out later, and we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So we get the show opening, and Kirk and Spock and McCoy they beam down onto a hill, and Kirk is just immediately complaining about the landing spot. He's like, "Well, we could have picked a better spot." And Spock's like, "Well, it's close to the city, but it's not a popular area, and uh, we really shouldn't well, be observed." Well, Sp- Spock's wrong on that because they didn't know that was the yeah. was an unpopular area. No, it turns out it's like the place to be. Uh, but yes, I actually have in my note here too about Kirk and the green shirt, and uh, I was wondering if it was just from because remember the whole reason that his shirt was gold to begin with was because of the lighting and like the way that TVs at the time portrayed things and like or the cameras and all yeah. that. And they are filming in natural light here because they are outdoors. Like this is not a stage or outdoors. So I was wondering if that's why he had the green shirt. But I mean, the green shirt's obviously different. Like it's got the kind of V cut. Man, he just yeah. felt like you know he was just feeling himself. Thought he looked good. Show a little chest. You if, know? We, if we ever go to uh, if I go to the convention, I'm rocking that shirt. I want I want that shirt. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. You have <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. I, I want the saucy you shirt. Should, uh, but you need a way deeper V, like belly button deep V. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just load up, show a little bit of the chest hairs off. You know. Yeah. Uh, so they make their way down the hill, and Spock takes a tricorder reading, and he says that the atmosphere is similar to that of Earth's 20th history or century. And he starts reading off some different levels of some things, and McCoy's like, dude, that's just called smog. And, yeah, Spock's like, oh, yeah, yeah like, I knew that. And, you know, they have a little argument. They kind of go back and forth throughout the whole episode. And McCoy's like, oh, I was just trying to save us from the whole lecture you were going to give us on this. And Kirk is just like, oh, yeah, the SS Beagle. Like, he just is completely uninterested. He says that the SS Beagle was the first ship ship to make a survey of the sector when it disappeared. And Spock asks if the prime directive is in full force as if it's ever not. Like, do they they ever get ready to go somewhere? And he's like, no prime directive this time, guys. Like, let's just go mess everything up. Uh, But but Kirk, like, he takes it real seriously and he starts quoting the prime directive. And he says that there's no identification of self or mission, no interference with the social development of said planet. And McCoy continues it in weird cult-like status saying that no references to space or the fact that there are other worlds or more advanced civilizations. And, like, guys, you break that rule within, like, 20 minutes of landing on a planet every single time you land on a planet. Yeah. Like, the Prime Directive just exists in name only. Like, they break it every <laughs> single time. They don't think that, yeah, like, I, I understand it, but they don't think it out a lot of no. times. Like, if uh, my number one rule I would have, like, when you approach a planet, approach outside of the, the, the city, city limits or whatever, and what are clothes they're wearing? That's it. Yeah. That's what the clothes they're wearing, like, and, and, and then let's go from there. But they did, I did think it was smart this time where, like, they told, like, a half lies. They're like, oh, yeah, my ship, it's at sea. So, yeah. like, they, he did say right. he had a ship, which isn't a lie, but at sea was kind of the lie. So, like, it's not in space. So, like, I did like how, in the, like, in a few minutes from now, like, how smart they, they try to make this episode really smart. As in, like they tried to, to use the prime directive to to to, uh, to balance the whole episode, 
and and, and it, it was some of it was smartly done. It eventually, it goes bad, but I'm just saying some of it was smartly done. So like, you yeah, can, they at least tried. Yeah, yeah. Like this, 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 this is really about the prime directive episode, and I think that's where they went wrong here, right in this episode where they could have did the idea was good, the prime directive being the main objective the whole time, but the execution wasn't as good as it should have been. Yeah, I just always like though that you know Kirk is getting a lot of women this season and like his main pickup line like breaks the prime directive he's always just like yeah like i'm just a guy from the stars like i came from up there with all the stars and planets and i travel around and shit <laughs> like that's how he picks up women is breaking the prime directive i'll just say that, that that's why they never scan down to see if there's anyone uh like in the area he's like how am I get, gonna get myself in a sexy situation if I actually yeah. do my job? If you correctly? avoid everyone, yeah, yeah, you never get to have sex with anybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm the man from the start. Uh, but they uh, they decide to start walking, and McCoy is joking about how just once he'd like to land somewhere, basically declare himself a deity. And uh, Spock doesn't see how that's uh, funny or interesting in any way. And then someone shoots at them, so they're kind of caught in the open, really bad spot. And uh, a voice tells them to put their hands in the air, and Spock is like, "Oh." It's the language being spoken is English. Like, the is universal it, isn't language. it always? Like, have you ever encountered people that don't speak English? <laughs> Listen, don't do that. Don't leave Spock alone. Okay. <laughs> like, wait, everybody in the galaxy speaks the same damn language, and I'm surprised by it every <laughs> there's time. One, there's one thing they should have that actually is on a different show I watch called Farscape. They got translators, microprobes. When you first, when you're first born, they put these uh, microprobes in your foot or something like that. You get a shot, and then it translates other languages to you, so you can understand each other. They make that as like a trope really early, so you don't feel weird. Yeah, they just out. settled it right there. Yeah, yep, right at the beginning. He can understand anybody. He gets a shot. He's like, "What? I can understand you." He's like, "Oh yeah, you, you never been micropro? You didn't have the microprobes in your body as a kid?" And like, he was like, "No." So like, you learn pretty early that like that's the reason why. So. Even, yeah, even that's though, a cool way to handle that. Yeah, even though on this planet we don't, we you know everybody speaks English on this show. I know the other shows have handled that more, uh, more correct, uh, more intelligently. They, they also do it in Doctor Who. The the TARDIS just automatically translates all the languages for the the cast of characters. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, I get it. Like this is a, uh, it's from the '60s. You know, it's early in the sci-fi field. Like. You don't really think about... Nobody thought about any of that at the time. I'm sure it didn't bother anybody when this show was airing every week that everybody yeah. speaks English, but I mean, I'm going to make fun of it now. <laughs> that one kid in the corner like, why is everybody here speak English? Shut up! <laughs> yeah, and then they He's throw rocks corner, at Bob, him. Nobody likes you anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so Kirk reaches for his phaser, and uh, the guy fires another warning shot, which like, that's really... Uh, that's out of character for Kirk, I feel like. Like usually he's cool with just you know being diplomatic and following orders for a second until he can get the bottom of things. But now he's just like, nah, fuck it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab my phaser and start shooting. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot some people now. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start blasting. He's like, I told you I was feeling spicy today. <laughs> uh, so then four men come out from behind some big old rocks and they surround the crew. And one man asks them who they are, and Kirk says that they're from another province. And uh, the man approaches Spock, and he's like, well, where are you from? And he points to Spock's ears, and he's like, what do you call those? And Spock says that he calls them ears. So Spock is also <laughs> feeling spicy today. <laughs> Dude, I laughed. I was like, I don't know why that was so funny, but it was really funny. I'm like, yo, this actually, is, that's kind of funny. I just, that's it, good. It, it, it's it's such the truth. It's a, per, it's a perfect Spock thing to say, uh, their ears? Like, Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what would you call them? Yeah, what would you call but, them? Uh, this, this guy, he's not amused by that. 
But Kirk explains that they came from far away, and then uh, the man's like, "Hey, like, what about these uniforms you're saying you're wearing?" And he says that they're probably some new Praetorian Guard unit, and he wants to just kill them right there. But he thinks that Septimus would probably be displeased if he did that. And uh, he tells them to all move out, and they all just start marching. And I did notice um, a weird thing. There was a really weird echo anytime anybody talked during this. These oh, next okay, so it wasn't me then. Okay, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe it was. I, I thought yeah, there was something weird about the audio watching that episode, yeah, but I thought, definitely I thought part maybe of the recording. TV. Okay. I also noticed some spots like where they had like black dots on the camera that I thought was like, I'm like, what is on my monitor? But it wasn't because it was pre- like it was present in every scene and all, yeah, always I, in the same spot. I thought the same thing. I actually got up. I'm like, how did I get on my TV? So I tried to like wipe it <laughs> off. I'm like, it's not coming off. What is going on? <laughs> uh, the next scene, it just disappeared. I'm like, oh, yeah. damn it. I yeah, don't really understand. I don't understand uh, if this is the Roman Empire, which I've accepted or whatever, like um, their fashion sense was not very Roman like like if you're if you're going to go there, why wouldn't you're like a T-shirt with a chain across the three things across it? Like I didn't get. Yeah, that was weird to signify that they're like slaves or whatever. Yeah. Like instead yeah. of putting actual chains on them, they just have like a representative chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand. They, 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 they it's a metaphorical chain. Either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if I was going to do this to society or whatever, I would have made them, I would. I don't know, I just felt like it wasn't very Roman-like. Like we've seen a lot of cultures like throughout this show that's been like more Roman-like and have kept some of the stuff so you can kind of fill it. I thought this time the reference, they, they didn't, I mean, I, I I guess I get uh, t- uh, clothing changes over time. I guess, yeah, but, but I, I mean, I they're they're Roman, the Roman Empire in the twentieth century. So like, they're a modern. Like, if the Roman Empire never fell and they yeah. continued on to like now time, I don't but, know, like I for some reason they still maintain some of their weird uh, clothing and shit later. No, no one was there to vent jeans. Yeah. <laughs> my my issue is you're a runaway slave. Why are you taking off your slave shirt? Well, then <laughs> like, they can't take their shirts off. Clothes. Like, whoa, 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 I can't take my slave shirt like, off. Oh, you can't go anywhere it. now without a guard or somebody wow, being like, hey, I never thought are about you a that. runaway slave? That, like, take your shirt off. That's interesting. And nobody knows. <laughs> like, it's not like you're branded. It's fucking three links of chain on a shirt. Like, <laughs> we don't know branded. We never see them on our shirts, do we? Look, the, the, the slave union made a deal like, look, we'll never take our shirts off. <laughs> when you run away, I think you're out of the slave union. I think they stop representing oh, that's you. That's true. Maybe they are maybe they are branded. There's no references to no reference to it at all. I don't know, but I just that's a good point about the whole shirt thing. Yeah, I'm not gonna assume they are because they didn't specifically say they were. So if I feel like if if it was like that was the case, they probably would have made a maybe point they, to maybe say they don't have any other clothes. Maybe there's no clothes anywhere about the their slave clothes once once they run away. I would re- Look, it's the middle of the summer there. It's nice outside. Go shirtless. Like, take, take your slave shirt off. I'm insecure about my body, man. I only wear my shirtless. I'm rocking a slave shirt. You think people they're, that escape from modest. prison just wear their prison jumpsuit all over the damn place? They've been hiding out for years, like going to Walmart in their prison jumpsuit, and nobody people, people, says shit? People thought it was Halloween. <laughs> yeah, all the time. So they walk for a little bit and uh, somebody on a hill sees them coming and he whistles three times and that causes a bunch of people in a little hidden cave to come out and the man in charge approaches them uh, and another guy who's called Septimus, he tells Septimus that he didn't harm them as, as much as he wanted to. Uh, Septimus tells the guy whose name is Flavius and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, our way is peace. And McCoy says that their way is also peace, like they're, they're men of peace as well. So Septim asks if they're children of the sun, 
And McCoy says that if they're talking about worship, they represent many faiths. And Flavius is super mad. He's like, there's only one true belief. And then he turns to uh, tell Septimus that the crew are Roman butchers sent by the first citizen. So Kirk asks uh, if they look like any Romans that they've ever seen. And Septimus asks if they're also slaves. And Kirk's like, am I wearing a slave shirt? Like, you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He says that he also does that they their people don't don't believe in slavery, uh, and Flavius doesn't believe them, and he's like, let's just kill him. So Spock explains <laughs> that, uh, yeah, like, I'm very Roman. Yeah, he's like, I don't like these guys. Just shoot them. Like Spock explains that they're looking for their 47 friends who were stranded there about six years ago, and I've I've been in that situation. You can't find your 47 <laughs> friends. Random, yeah, <laughs> just wandering around a planet looking for your 47 friends. I, I, I've been around that too. Um, Flavius still just wants to kill them. And Septimus is like, no, like, I don't know why I have to keep telling you that we, that's not our, our way of life, but just no. Uh, Kirk wants to prove that they're telling the truth. And he takes out his communicator and he calls Scotty on the enterprise and he tells him to lock onto their transmission beam and scan them. And Scotty does so. And Kirk's like, all right, how many people are around us? And Scotty says that there are 12. So Kirk hangs up on him and he explains that the enterprise is their ship somewhere at sea and, that's all he can tell them. And uh, so he's already kind of broken the prime directive. And he says, uh, if that's not enough proof, then uh, Flavius can just go ahead and kill him. And Septimus is like, well, Flavius, uh, if you can truly say that the Empire has a device like that, then you can go ahead and kill them. Uh, otherwise, you have to accept them as friends. So then Flavius uh, shoots them all in the head and he executes Septimus. And then the series <laughs> ends there and the Enterprise lays waste to the planet and we just fade to black. <laughs> I don't think that uh brought the crown director, by the way. Like I it, mean it, it, it's it, not, all he did all he did was say hey, hey not doing I, it. I, I got I got a ship at scene. And I got a to- to- technology more vest than yours, but he didn't mention space. But no no one he never questioned his, you know the cell phone, like, hey, uh how how'd that thing work? Right. You just they're just like, yeah, like the Romans don't have that technology. Well I assume they, the Romans are team. supposed to be the big guys on the planet, like they got TVs, but they don't have cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually is pretty wild, considering all the stuff that they do have there. Like, they have, like, modern automobiles, yep. but no modern communication devices. Um, so, yeah, they all go into the caves as Kirk gives a captain's log explaining exactly what just happened, and he adds that the Roman Empire never fell on that planet. And Septimus tells Kirk that he's never heard of other men like him landing there. And Kirk asks if he's heard a story or a rumor of men that came from the sky or other worlds. But Septimus says that there are no other worlds. And Kirk's like, well, what about the stars? And Septimus says that there are lights shining through from heaven where the sun is. And he says, blessed be the sun. Blessed be the sun indeed. Uh, Spock hands Kirk a magazine. It's called The Galleon and uh, has a picture of a gladiator on the front. And Kirk starts flipping through it and he sees an ad for a car. And uh, he notes that Spock was right about the whole smog thing because, you know, they got cars and all that. <laughs> and he also sees like an ad for Mars toothpaste and Neptune bath salts, which don't do that and make you eat people's faces. <laughs> uh, Septimus says that they were named after false gods. And he says that he worshipped them, too, when he was a senator. But uh, he heard the words of the sun and became a, a brother. So he was then made a slave. And Kirk says that he needs to he needs their help to get into the city. But Septimus advises that they leave and just go back to where they came from. And Kirk's like, no, because then we wouldn't have an episode. So like, I really want my friends back. Yeah, my 47 friends that I never met. And he says he's looking for Captain Merrick. 
And Septimus is like, huh, I wonder if that's Maricus. And everybody in the cave surrounds them. They're like, oh, who now? Like, <laughs> who are you friends with? <laughs> who are you like, friends? Yeah, who are you came in the wrong neighborhood. Nah, nah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk says that uh, he's the leader of their friends. And Flavius says that if if Mer- that Maricus is the first citizen and he's a butcher. And Spock asks Septimus how long ago Maricus became first citizen. Septimus says that it was about five years ago. And Flavius is like, no, it was like six years ago. Like, okay, man, big big difference there. <laughs> but uh, he said he was there when Maricus became Lord of the Games. And he says that if the crew are friends with Maricus, then they're no friends of his. So uh, Kirk explains to Septimus that one of their most important laws is to never interfere with the affairs of other, which, you know, again, they break that all the time. And he says that if Merrick is Maricus, then he has violated the law and he must be taken away and punished. And he asks Septimus if they will help. And Septimus says he wants to talk it over with everybody. So then they they walk away to go do that. So Spock is then uh, talking to Kirk and he questions Kirk on why Merrick was dropped from the Space Academy. And Kirk explains that Merrick failed a psycho simulator test. <laughs> so like, I, I guess just let him be in charge of a different ship if he's, you know, can't what, be a can captain go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he said, all it takes is a split second of indecision, and Merrick is hardly the type to become a political strongman. So McCoy notes how odd it is that the slaves worship the sun, since Rome had no sun worshippers. And he asks why they'd parallel Rome in every way except for one, which I feel like is really unimportant to the entire story, and I'll get to that later. Uh, Septimus and his people then return, and he tells Kirk that Flavius is going to guide them, and that they're going to provide s- suitable clothing and uh, he warns them to take great care because the police are everywhere. And I'm going to tell you, in 2024, still good advice. Be careful. <laughs> yep. Cops are everywhere. Take care of yourself. They're everywhere. Yep. Uh, so we cut to uh, a little bit later as Flavius is leading the crew around uh, outside. And they hide behind some trees. And he says that they're going to have to wait there until dark. Uh, so Kirk asked Flavius if he was a slave. And Flavius says that uh, they're barbarians if they don't know about Flavius Maximus. So basically like, wait, you don't, you don't know about me. Like you must really be barbarian. Yeah, for real. You don't know who I am. Yeah. Flavius Maximus. Which sounds like a dessert. Father to a mother's son. <laughs> and, to a mother wife. <laughs> and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I feel like Flavius Maximus might just translate to maximum flavor. <laughs> it's really tasty. <laughs> Uh, he says that he was the most successful gladiator in the province for seven years. And Kirk assumes that Flavius heard the word of the sun. And Flavius is like, yep, sure did. And he says that uh, they were words of peace and freedom. And it wasn't easy to believe since he was trained to fight. But the words are true. Kirk starts to talk again. But then they get shot at. And it scared the absolute fuck out of me. Because I was it, so it, focused on taking notes of the it, conversation. It, that I just really was not expecting that. I, I, I jumped too. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, I was, Jesus Christ. Like, that was really unexpected. Of all the things I thought were going to happen, them getting, like, being part of a drive-by was, was not <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, but well, also, in Rome. since I have to uh, rewind everything 45 times to make sure that I get uh, the notes of the conversations, I did notice a small continuity error here. And uh, the bullet marks that appeared when uh, on the trees when they were shot at were already there in the previous scenes. So there's oh, just, really? Yep, little continuity error there. Uh, so yeah, a guy tells them, tells them, oh, man, my English is great today. Uh, a guy tells them to put their hands in the air and two men then come up behind them and take them all away from the trees to another group of guards. And the head guard notices Flavius and uh, he's like, oh yeah, you're Flavius. And Flavius just attacks him, but he gets knocked down. And the head guard says that Flavius has been absent from the games for too long and that the first citizen is going to be pleased. 
So he approaches the others and he says that runaway slaves are always welcome. And he removes Spock's hat for some reason. He's just like, this guy's wearing a hat and I don't want him to be. It's summertime. He shouldn't be wearing a hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's on your head. He takes Spock's hat and he says that Spock is a barbarian and it's been a long time since he's watched barbarians die in the arena. Then we go to commercial break from there. Come back, Captain's Log with Kirk talking about the city and he's talking about like some cars and buildings and stuff and we just get shots of the city as he narrates. And uh, all four of them are led into a cell and Kirk tells the head guard to tell Maricus that he'd like to see him. And the guard asks why uh, Maricus would care about arena bait like him and Kirk's like, well, you know, just go tell him that it's Jim Kirk and I'm perhaps a friend. And the guard's like, perhaps? Like... Kirk says, he's like, well, if I am a friend and you didn't tell Maricus about me, like, you think you really want to risk that? And the guard just kind of reconsiders he, it. He's like, eh, yeah. good point. Kirk is so sly sometimes. Yeah. Occasionally he does uh, really good stuff. Um, but yeah, he, the guard reconsiders and Kirk goes into the, the cell and then they, they close it behind him. And uh, a little bit later in the cell, uh, McCoy is looking over Flavius as Kirk wonders if... Uh, there have always been runaway slaves in the 2000 years of slavery there. Like, no, like, no, it's a recent thing. No, it just started. They, yeah. They were fine for <laughs> 1999 years, but, you know, in the 2000th year of slavery, they really got tired of it. Uh, Flavius says that there were rebellions long ago, but they were suppressed. And with each century, the slaves acquired more rights under the law and they received rights to medicine and government payments in their old age. And they slowly learned to be content. And Spock's like, that is fascinating. McCoy says that it's logical, just as logical as 20th century Rome using television to show its gladiator contests, or, or name a new card, Jupiter 8. If they're showing gladiator games uh, in the Roman Empire, imagine what the WWE looks like. This <laughs> <Yeah>. is <Jesus, laughs> crazy. They, actually, they probably don't like it because it's not real combat. They're so used to just seeing actual death. People dying. No, like, it, oh, probably is, boring. No, it probably is real combat for the rest of the WWE. It's actually real this time. Yeah. They just get like the cool promos and stuff. You get yeah. the characters. They're like, man, <laughs> like cut a promo. They're like, the violence is cool, but honestly, I'm kind of tired of it. Like, I just want to see characters and stories. <laughs> so Spock says that uh, if he could show emotion, McCoy's new infatuation with that term would begin to annoy him. And McCoy's like, oh, you mean logic? And he says that medical men are trained in logic. And Spock says that uh, he didn't know that medical men were trained at all, and he assumed that while or he assumed while watching McCoy that it was just trial and error. Like, damn, Spock, <laughs> leave that man alone. <laughs> they, 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 they have some really good jabs at each other in this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that is. There's a couple highlights in this episode. The banter between Spock, uh, Spock and Doc, it are definitely yeah. uh, is definitely a highlight of the highlight of it, especially when uh, uh, Flavor says. Uh, are those guys? Uh, are they friend, uh, enemies? You know, yeah. he's like, he's like, curse, like, uh, no. Sometimes, he's like, I don't, I, I don't think they even I, know. I don't think they. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's just a weird, yeah, just an interesting uh, thing of, of their friendship. Because I consider them friends, yeah. no matter how they are. Like, you always get that. Like most guys, a guy thing would know. You got that one friend that that will say the worst things to you because he can't. You know, yeah. you got that one friend that'll uh, make fun of whatever your insecurities are, whatever, make fun of your whole time back and forth because you got that kind of relationship. So that's kind of not, I mean, I, I don't find nothing wrong with that at all. Right. Uh, oddly enough, that is my next note about that whole, that whole conversation. Oh, my bad. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a fine thing. So they have that conversation. Saves me from talking about it. And he asks uh, Flavius if slaves become discontent again or became discontent again when they started to worship the sun. And he wonders uh, when everything happened. 
Flavius says that it was long ago, and he says the message of the sun, that all men are brothers, uh, was kept from them. And he wonders if he's a fool to believe the word, as a man must often fight to live. And Kirk tells him to keep believing that all men are brothers, brother. Uh, the guards come in, and the head guard tells Flavius that he's already been matched for the morning games, which is, like, really efficient. Like, they're really on it here. Uh, he tries to lead Flavius away, but Flavius refuses, and he says that he's a brother of the sun. So the guard says that uh, Flavius is as peaceful as a bull, and he'll fight if they put a sword in his hand. And then Flavius is just kind of like, yeah, you're right, and just leaves the cell. <laughs> he just he just goes with him and gets escorted away. It's like, damn, really got me there. <laughs> So the head guard uh, tells the crew to come with them, and Kirk uh, quietly says to them that it's three on three and they might not get a better chance. So the guard tells them, he's like, hey, no talking, just come outside. And Kirk says he doesn't think that McCoy's going to get very far because he feels ill, and McCoy's like, I do? What? <laughs> he's like, <"All> right. <laughs> the guard uh, orders them out, and Kirk agrees, but he says that McCoy will double over before he gets too far. And then he and Spock kind of grab McCoy to help him. And have you guys ever felt so sick that you've literally, like, doubled over like that? Because I've never, that's never happened to me. I've never been like, oh, like, grab my stomach and, like, bend forward. Uh, Maybe know. when I was trying to get out of school when I was a child. Like, oh, man, <laughs> yeah, I just really so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've had, I've had it before. I've had stomach stomach pains before like that. So I've had, had it before, actually. Uh, McCoy thinks that he can walk. And he takes a few steps, and then he just doubles over in pain, and then the guard steps in to grab him and move him out, and that's when Kirk and Spock attack. And Spock does the whole Vulcan nerve pinch, and Kirk stomps on the head guard's foot and then knocks him out somehow, and then they finish off the other guard, and Spock grabs a sword, and they go running out of the cell. But they only get is a that few maneuver, steps. Is that maneuver trained in captain school? Because they seem to really use that one a lot. The foot stomp? No, the, like the, no, no, not the foot stomp, but like doing like the trickery, like, oh, hey. Uh, right? I feel Just sick. because he's smarter than 99% of the people he encounters. None, <laughs> none of them ever suspect that the people that they have captured are going to try to stop being captured at any time. <laughs> <laughs> that would have pre- been a pretty, uh, pretty decent fight, honestly. It wasn't terrible. No, not bad at all. Uh, so, yeah, they only get a few steps away when they see that they're surrounded by guards with guns. And there are two other guys who uh, talk about how good they think that the crew would do in the arena. And Kirk recognizes one of the men as Merrick, and uh, he addresses him, and Merrick confirms that it's him, and he introduces the other man as the, their proconsul, Claudius Marcus. They lead the crew away, and Merrick tells Kirk not to judge him before he knows all the facts of everything that's going on, and he says the proconsul knows who and what they are, and that they can talk freely. So they leave uh, the cells area, like the jail area, and they go into a room where Merrick orders the guards out, and Claudius has some food brought out, and uh, he marvels at Spock. He says he wishes that he had 50 Vulcans for the arena. That, that I, feel, I feel like would be really annoying. All of them just like talking logically about everything all the time. <laughs> and they're like, logically, like you could get the best uh, coverage from your cameras if you move them at this angle. Like you can view view the fight best from this this angle. Like just shut up and stab each other. <laughs> I, I, I like to I like to imagine like Vulcan fighting would actually just them be debating like fiercely yeah. <laughs> back and forth. Yeah, he's like, well, you've got me, and logically, the only thing that I can no, do now they, is to allow you to kill me. <laughs> they had that uh, fight earlier when Spock had to go for the wedding thing, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. But that was that, that was, was for sex. That's different. No. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, uh, Merrick says that it's a pity that they can't let McCoy loose in the hospitals because their level of medicine would improve immeasurably. So 
So they all sit at a table, and Kirk takes notice of the blonde woman that's uh, serving them. And I'm like, shit, here we go again. Dude, I, I wrote that yep. one note. I said, blonde woman, Kirk, in trouble. Every time. I wrote, I wrote down every time. Anytime there's a blonde, a blonde female on, on the episode, I'm like, oh, here goes Kirk. About to mess the whole everything he, up. Just, he did ignore the, the, the slave girl with brown hair. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a po- possible uh, relationship, you know, later in the episode. Then, yeah. nope, she's just gone. Yeah. She yeah. wasn't blonde, bro. Come on now, he ninety nine percent of the women he messed with. The episode has been this whole show have been blonde. He, he, he has a type. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Kirk asks Merrick what happened. Merrick explains that they had meteor damage and they went ashore with a landing party to look for iridium ore for repairs. And that's when he met Claudius and fell in love and they started a family. No. Uh, <laughs> he says that Claudius convinced him that it would be unfair to the world to. To carry word of its existence elsewhere, which, like, I don't see why that would be unfair, but whatever. Uh, Claudius says that they can't risk contamination, and Kirk would understand uh, when he learns more about them. And Merrick says that he decided he was going to stay. So Kirk asks, he asks what happened to Merrick's crew, and if they voluntarily came ashore. And Merrick says that it's an ordered, conservative, world-based world based on time-honored strengths and virtues. Wow, say that one ten times fast. And Kirk asks him again about the crew, and Merrick says that there's been no war for over 400 years. So he's just dodging the uh, the question. But also, question, yeah. no war for over 400 years? That is not very Roman-like. Like They, they would have been all over <laughs> stuff. Like you know, Historically, they were. Technically, they were at war, but not. But they didn't, I guess they considered war, and the slaves were rebelling, rebelling. Yeah, no, that's just, yeah, just a minor thing to them. Merrick says that the Romans don't want their idea contaminated by dangerous ideas and uh, other ways and places. So basically, they don't want any outside influence. And Spock says that uh, he finds it interesting and understandable. And McCoy just gets really mad at Spock. Uh, Spock explains that he understands the checks and balances of the system, and uh, he finds them quite illuminating. Uh, He says that they've escaped the carnage of Earth's first three world wars. And I'm like, well, what about the second three world wars? (laughs) What what about all the wars that Rome took to conquer that planet? Right. Like, wouldn't those technically be world wars? I mean, if it involved the whole world, then yeah. But I don't think that uh, this Rome took the whole planet. I think that they just have, a like, a big area. Because, like, if you can pretend to be from another province and people are like, oh, yeah, okay, then that, that would mean that's that, true. you know, it's not Roman. Uh, McCoy notes that uh, they still have slavery there and gladiatorial games and despotism. And Spock says that those situations are familiar to the 6 million people who died in the first world war and the 11 million who died in the second one and the 37 million who died in the third one. And Claudius is just like, man, this is an interesting conversation. Uh, And (laughs) and he asks uh, Kirk which world he would prefer. And Kirk says that uh, his world is his vessel and his oath and his crew. So a very non-answer from Kirk. He's like, I actually prefer this one. Like, in violence, women, like, hell yeah, I can be powerful here, <laughs> but I can't say that in front of my yeah, friends. Yeah, I can't say in front of my crew. I can't really do what I want to yeah. do, but, you know. Well, maybe Spock would be logical about it, but Bones is like, dude, what the hell, man? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he says that uh, Merrick has explained what happened to his vessel, and uh, what happened to his oath is very obvious. And uh, Merrick says that those of his men that were able to adapt to the world are still alive, and those who couldn't are dead, just as it is everywhere. Kirk asks Merrick uh, if he sent his own men to, into the arena, and Merrick says that Kirk will order his own men ashore just like he did. So he just not answers all over the place. But I mean, he's answering by not answering. 
And McCoy starts to argue about Starfleet regulations, but Claudius says that they're designed to circumvent such an order. And he says that the 400 people on Kirk's ship could be brought down if it's handled properly. He says that uh, he has the advantage of a trained ship captain to tell him what is and is not possible. So basically just referencing uh, Merrick there. So he pulls out uh, Kirk's communicator and tells Kirk to save them the trouble and issue some orders. Merrick tells Kirk that they're going to arrive soon anyway in the form of a recon party and then a rescue party and then another rescue party. And he says uh, he had less men, but it all adds up the same, which is actually a fair point. Like they, they kind of have him trapped in that regard. I did find it. Uh, the more and more the episode went along, the more and more I didn't like Merrick because because he told him to do it everything. Yeah, like oh, dude knew everything, and I'm like, yo, you can keep nothing in untuck. Like you ain't got no sense right. of principle. <laughs> like <laughs> you didn't keep nothing Hang on to in something him, like, to make yourself valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you done, you done told him everything, bro. And and then as you're going along, and then you're like, as I'm going to skip ahead and talk about it, you see the disdain that um the leader has for him. In general, I'm like, yeah, I had the same stuff for you. You gave up everything, bro. Like, you got, you gave nothing. You right. gave nothing. Uh, so Kirk asks Claudius if he really believes that he could be made to order his people down, and Claudius says he believes that Kirk would do almost anything rather than see Spock and McCoy put slowly to death. And he gives Kirk his communicator, and Kirk calls the Enterprise, and he asks uh, Scotty if they have a fix on them. Scotty answers, and the guards come into the room and immediately point their guns at Kirk and uh, the, everybody else. It's revealed that Claudius has pushed a button on the bottom of the table to summon the guards, and Kirk tells Scotty to stand by. But Claudius says that there's no point in sending up bullet-ridden corpses. And I thought that actually that was a, a pretty good moment, because Kirk was going to just have them beamed out, which is something he's never done before, like when he realizes that he's trapped in a situation, like, and they're like, here, call your ship, blah, blah, blah. Like, he could have done that shit at any time during yeah. any of these, any time this has ever happened. You know, at this point, they should put like a little bit of technology in their like their badges. So when they're about to get captured, they just hit it and automatically beam back up. Right? Something. Well, you got to remember the next generation. They're they're, they're the communicators, and uh, in, yeah, in the next true. generation, those are the the little symbols are the communicators. So they do advanced technology as it goes along. But also, like again, like you had said, had Merrick not told him everything, this actually would have worked because he yep. wouldn't have known what what Kirk was going to do, but Merrick's like, oh, they could like beam out and just like teleport all over the place. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Claudius was prepared for this, but I think it was a good moment just to kind of show like, first of all, that like Kirk thought of that. And then also he was out thought by this guy when, that he's dealing with. When when he called the guards in, was he hitting like the under, under the, the, yeah, they showed under his the hand, table. They showed his hand was gripping the edge of the table. And I assume that that meant that there was a button under there that he pressed to get the guards to come in. Because, like, how else would they have known? And, like, why would they show his hand on the table like that? Like, they specifically focused on his hand, like, grabbing the edge of the table with his fingers wrapped around underneath it. Unless the guards do, like, in the one episode where they're just standing by the door to wait for something to happen. <laughs> yeah, just, like, that guy just waiting. <laughs> then, then it comes in. Now's our time. Go. Uh, so Kirk notes that Scotty is waiting for a message, and Claudius asks Kirk if he's going to order or what he's going to order his men to do. And Kirk wonders what would happen if he brought down 100 people with phasers. Claudius says that he could probably defeat the combined armies of the entire empire then and uh, violate his oath of non-interference with other societies. But once again, that's, that's that not weekly, a problem for him. So, yeah. uh, don't threaten <laughs> yeah. me with a good time. Does not care. But then I started to wonder, what would it take to get 100 people in there? You can only transport like five people at a time. They would, like, if you put them in that area, they get instantly messed up before they could even like fully beam in. So they would have to beam outside of the city and then gather up and then attack what would be a defended position. 
Uh, but they do have the superior technology. But then again, like the ship could do a shit ton of work from space. So they yeah, would probably still win either way. Beam, yeah, hits the beams down. Boom, boom, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Shoot their power like, source like they did. But the threat to have like a hundred people there, like logistically just doesn't make sense. Like you're going to beam them five at a time into the room. They're just going to like the last like five of them are going to be beamed into nine onto 95 corpses. <laughs> like, there's just going to be <laughs> bodies everywhere. Oh, geez. Like you're just stabbing them as they're shooting them as they come in. Like they have no time to react to anything. Um, but he believes that uh, Claudius believes that uh, they all swore that they were, yeah, they all swear that they die before violating the directive. And Spock's like, yep, that's right. So, like, how are you guys not dead yet? Because, again, you violate the directive all the damn time. But McCoy angrily asks Spock if he always has to be so honest. And Claudius asks Kirk why he would even bother to send people down when his ship could lay waste to the surface on, of the entire world. I'm like, okay, so they did think of that. Then he reminds them of the prime directive again and how they uh, can't interfere. And I'm like, look, at this point... When you get away from this, or however you get away with this, just destroy the whole planet, right? Like, look, <laughs> it's uncharted. The only ship to ever go there crashed, so nobody knew that they were there. It's an uncharted planet in an uncharted section of space. You blow it up. It's gone. It was never there. You're like, oh, planet? What planet? McCoy, did you see a planet there? No, I, I didn't see one, because there was never and, one you there. You know, it's not like Starfleet doesn't know that there's not, you know planet uh killing disaster weapons out there to begin with. Yeah. They're so like, oh, uh, there Even if they knew planet. about it, like, yeah. oh, the the apocalypse weapon must have gone through here. Yeah, like, we, we found remnants of the SS Beagle. We traced where they thought they came from. Nothing. Just pieces of a planet. Don't know what happened. Sorry. Move on to the next one. But Merrick reminds Kirk that Scotty is waiting on the message, and Kirk tells Scotty that it's conditioned green and all is well, and then he hangs up on him. And Claudius takes the communicator and tells the guards to take the crew to prepare them for the games. And Merrick tells Kirk that, uh, it's, he's like, hey, it's not a training test. Like, we're, we're taking you to die. And then they leave the room and they go to commercial break. We come back and Scotty's given a log and he explains that condition green means that they're in trouble, but it prohibits him from taking any action. So then I got curious about like, okay, condition mean green means, hey, we're in trouble. How do you actually say that you're okay? Condition red. But then whoever you're with would be like, well, you just warned him because they don't know. They would probably assume that red is bad, right? Yeah. Maybe it's just like a different, a different word different for everything's good. Yeah. Like, he's like, uh, honky-dory. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> that means they're actually okay. Yeah, send here playing around, you know, giddy up as we go along. And then, you know, everything Giddy up. Goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's the yeah, we word. are giddy up here. <laughs> We're giddy up. How do you fit giddy up in a conversation you even know? Yeah. Um, Scotty then uh, tells Chekhov to pinpoint their power source locations on the planet and the type of power and the load factors and how much their beam would have to pull to overload them. Chekhov says that that's going to take some some time, and Scotty's like, I'm cool with that. And he says that his orders say that he can't interfere, but no order's going to stop him from frightening them. We go back to the planet, and we're in a TV studio, and uh, they have a stage with like a backdrop that looks like a Roman arena. And at first, when they first showed this, I was like, I was, I was like, are they really trying to pass this off? Bro, the same Arena? thing I and thought they too. zoom out and it's like, oh, okay, it's a TV studio. It's a TV <laughs> show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I was like, what a cheesy backdrop. And I was like, oh, it's supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was ready to tear them apart for that one. Uh, an announcer, uh, he goes live and he starts his, introdu- his introduction. And he tells Claudius that they're going to a taped commercial for 40 seconds and that they're going to be uh, back to live again. 
And Claudius they even is, got com- they even got commercials in the Roman timeline. Well, yeah, you gotta TV. sell that Mars toothpaste. That, that's true. And the Neptune bath salts. <laughs> um, Claudius, Merrick, and Kirk ascend a few stairs to sit on some chairs and watch as Spock and McCoy are led in, and they're each holding a sword and shield. And I wonder why are their shields all painted different colors and like so bright? The, like, the shields look terrible. Yeah, they're awful. The one guy had like a gold one, and that one looked fine. The other ones are awful. Like, is it maybe so like their viewers at home can tell? Like, maybe their TVs aren't great? Mm. I don't know. Well, they, the, 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 what they did uh, say something about it will be uh, broadcast in color. Yeah, you're right. But actually, I guess it kind of makes sense because uh, in the fight later, I did initially confuse uh, Achilles and Flavius. So maybe the, the shields, <laughs> when they're all wearing all of their armor and like helmets and stuff, maybe that is a good way to identify them. Oh, just just as a viewer, yeah. That way you can see when it, yeah, see what uh, show they have. That's a good point. Um, I do have a question though. Why don't our guys have sh- uh, helmets? That's not yeah, fair. Yeah, that's not fair. No, yeah. not at all. That's not that's that's not fair. If you said, "Oh, spot, we could find a helmet could fit your ears," I'd I'd have laughed <laughs> and I'd been like, "Oh, that's messed up," or whatever. But my boy, my my boy Bones, he he use a helmet. Yeah. The announcer tells him that they're going live, and then he starts talking about the extra fight for the night between the two highly aggressive barbarians and how they'll be taking on Achilles and Flavius. And there's a guy at like a sound effects booth, and uh, he just turns up a knob for like crowd cheers. So there's yeah. not even an actual crowd; they just like pipe in the sound. That's funny. And the announcer continues as Achilles and Flavius get some helmets put on them, and Flavius says that he doesn't mind fighting, but he wonders about Achilles. So they start the fight, and Achilles immediately goes for Spock. And uh, Spock blocks everything, and McCoy fends off some incredibly weak strikes from Flavius. Like, Flavius is clearly not trying to kill him. Uh, Spock warns Achilles that he's able, or he's well able to defeat him, but Achilles just continues attacking. And it's actually, it's not terrible fighting here. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be for hand-to-hand fighting. Like, there's some pretty good sequences. Like, it's not, it's clearly not, you know, modern choreography, but it's not yeah. bad. Well, Bones, the, the only Bones part looks bad, though. Whole... Bones looks bad, but it looks bad on purpose. Yes. Like yes, like, when he when he's talking to Spock, yeah, that looked well. No, no look bones. Good. I said bones fighting looks bad because he don't fight though. Yeah, he's like, a doctor. Like, he's not a, a gladiator. So like so like his whole style of fighting looks kind of cheesy. But when in your head, you're like, oh yeah, bones can't fight anyway. Of course he looks weird. Look using a sword. And this is my moment. I'm like, man, I miss Sulu, dude. Like like if they, if, if they put Sulu in this episode, yeah, this this would have been like He'd this would have been his moment. Like this will been his moment to really like shine, and and so many times that we we reference uh, certain things in the show, I just wish that they would give uh, Sulu more more credit. Because like I know that uh we're we're watching this years and years later, and we know how influential uh, George Takai as, as Sulu is, at, like in in general. But for like this, this it's been two seasons, and he's maybe had maybe two moments in two seasons. I've really, you know, in general, and I right. feel like for such an influential character in in Star Trek history or whatever i have not seen an episode where he is like the main I, thing like it's weird I, I wonder if the movies do uh give him more uh screen time i don't right? know i just feel like yeah, we I like so. I, I thought we got the trio and then we have one we'll have some random character some random b-level character is going to die you know but it's always a trio and i just i feel like that since sulu's i, I think sulu's we haven't seen him at all so i'm assuming he's still off filming that movie forever so like yeah I, I don't know i just think it's a little weird that they don't have him like in nothing i just i find it interesting 
Yeah. Um, Dan, you were starting to say something about oh, the fighting, oh, I think. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say uh, when like, the fighting did look weird, but what looked really corny was when uh, Spock is like, oh, hey, do you want me to help you? And Bones is like having that banner back and forth. And oh, he's, yeah. He's like looking away when, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's getting his sword swung at him. Like, no, you wouldn't do that. Yeah, if he was at that point, if he was fighting a guy that actually wanted to kill him, he would have been dead. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but Merrick tells Kirk that most of his men went the same way, and he had hoped he'd feel it less with Kirk's people. And then Spock hits Achilles with a shield, and he says, he's like, I don't want to injure you. Flavius and McCoy just kind of stare at each other, and uh, the sound guy is just, like, piping in boos and jeers at this point. <laughs> and then a guard just whips Flavius. Just <laughs> yeah, he's like, you are not fighting. Wow. He's like, hey, Fight. <laughs> He tells said, Flavius that if they bring the network ratings down, then they're going to do a special on him. And, bro, the the fact that is a wild line, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn you to a network special. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. But, like, did the documentary come out in memory of, of yeah. Flavor Maximus? <laughs> like, <laughs> what a career he had until yeah, this one epic day. He's like, like you ain't getting a stand-up special. I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you that much. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I just like, like, like there are moments the episode has it's so clever at a moment where it's just so dumb, and that's like a really like really funny thing to me. Like I turn you to a network special. I think, oh my goodness, no, yeah. I don't, don't want to be that. Uh, you imagine like just that hat, like you're just in an argument with somebody over something. Like, listen, I'll turn you to a network special. Like, hey, am I right? <laughs> Calm down. I'll make you uh, an unsolved again, mystery. If- if this was an actual fight, real. if this was a real flight and Flavius gets whipped and he turns around to look at the guy, McCoy would have stabbed him in the throat. Like that's that's your time. <laughs> yeah. like you can't, can't, no, can't, not, you can't not, take no, your eye off not McCoy. Both. No, he, 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 he seems to be very passive. He's very passive. We haven't seen him really get in a real fight yet. He's super yeah. passive. Yet. I hope we do. Now that you yeah. said yet, I, I hope we do see him get. I want angry Bones. Yeah. I want Bones on the warpath. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, McCoy and Flavius, they start fighting, and Kirk asks Claudius if Spock could help McCoy if he finishes off his man, and Claudius says that they believe that men should fight their own battles, and I'm like, why do you have them there in a two-on-two to begin with, then? Why are they not in a one-on-one? You put, like, two teams of two against each other, but they're only allowed to fight one of the two? Ratings. Two fights at the same time, better than watching one fight, see? <laughs> is it's like, it? oh, it's a double it's fight. A... <laughs> they're, fighting, they're fighting each other at the same time. How cool is Because I would this, think it would be more room. exciting. Let's say you and I are on a team. And we kill off one of our guys, then that other guy has to fend off both of us. That's ratings. Like, is he going to do it? Can he do it? And then, like, maybe he kills off one of us. And mm-hmm. then, like, people are like, oh, damn, is he going to come back? Like, is he going to get the two-on-one comeback? Like, but no. So it's a, it's it's a fatal four-way, but it's really two, a tag except team. it's one-on-one. It's a fatal yes. four-way, but it's technically a tag team. <laughs> Real dumb. Yeah. But, but they, but they can't help also, each other. Actually, I'll, I'll bring up this note uh, later. Um, but, uh... Claudius says that uh, only the weak are going to die, and he asks Kirk if he's ready to order his men down, and uh, they just kind of continue to watch the fight. Merrick tells Kirk that the Romans have always been the strongest, and they've had practice enslaving men and killing them for 2,000 years, and that's why he gave in. Claudius tells Kirk that uh, the Romans don't fear death as he does. And then the guard whips Flavius again, and Flavius instructs McCoy on how to defend himself. He's like, at least hold up your sword. And he's like, I am. And he's like, hold it like this. I'm fighting. Yeah. I tried uh, to get him whipped because of you. Yeah, do something. Damn, this hurts. 
so then uh, he just kind of continues his attack against McCoy. <clears throat> and Claudius tells Kirk to admit that he finds the games frightening and revolting. And this is one of my favorite things because it's unintentionally hilarious. And Kirk just chuckles. And he's like, oh, in some parts of the galaxy, he seems forms of entertainment that makes this look like a folk dance. Like that, not that part, but like this here. So like the fight continues and Claudius tries to convince Kirk that it's different because it's his men and not strangers. And Kirk is like, look, I send my people to die all the time. Like, this is nothing I got, I got, I got a me. body count of how many people have died on my yeah. I send people to die all the time. This, this is what I do. Like, like, nothing you do to my men can be worse than what I've done what to I do, them. What I do to them, I send them out all the time. He's like, one time I had a guard that stood on a rock and blew up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, that was a day. Uh, no, he's, he's like, yeah, he's like, I've had to select men to die so that uh, others could be saved. And Claudius uh, says that Kirk is a clever liar, but Merrick has a spaceship captain, or was a spaceship captain, and he's observed that their species has no such strength. So Merrick's over there like, the fuck did I do? See, when this moment on, I started I started to understand the leader's disdain for Merrick. Like as much yeah. as he's next to him, he's like, dude, you're not even in a room, man. And then later on, oh my gosh, he makes a reference later on, which when he makes a reference later when we get to there. I hope you wrote it down. Yeah, I know what you're he, talking he about. He said yeah. something that's so blasphemous <laughs> that, that this episode would end immediately because we're fighting. Those are fighting words, bro. <laughs> like when we get there later on. But yeah, just everything he it just it just you can see yeah. this disdain as the as he's going long and long. Like he he don't respect him at all. Can I just take a second here to tell you how much I like Claudius as a villain in this episode? He's yeah. a very good villain. Like yeah. he outthinks Kirk all episode. Like he's yeah. just kind of genuinely a dick, but he's like he's good at it. And yeah. the actor was really good as Claudius. Yeah, he, he he's was got very such a good at like face. Uh, yeah, yeah. Acting he's superior, one of the better villains. But like, like, like very very good at being superior without being so. It, it was just a little subtle. Like I'm just better than you, and, and then he kept proving yeah. ways that he was better than him. Yeah, kept, he backs it up. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed him as a villain this episode. Yeah. One of the highlights. Uh, Merrick explains that Kirk doesn't just command a spaceship, but a starship. So he's kind of standing up for Kirk, and he says that it's a very special vessel and crew, and that uh, he tried for such a command, but he doesn't note that he didn't make it that far. He's like, oh yeah, I tried to do that. But nothing, nothing beyond that. Uh, Claudius doesn't see any evidence of superiority, and he says that Kirk's men fight no better than Merrick's did. <laughs> so again, he's just putting Merrick down there. And uh, they continue watching the fight as the sound guy just turns up the booze. And uh, Spock asks McCoy if he needs help, and McCoy sarcastically asks, he's like, what gave you that idea? He's like down on one knee, like, it's like, just help me out over here. So Achilles calls uh, Spock a pointy-eared freak and tells him to fight. And then McCoy's like, yeah, fight. <laughs> it's like, what, what he said? Like, whose team are you on, man? Uh, Flavius manages to knock McCoy to the ground. Uh, but before he can finish him off, and it looked like he was actually going to finish him off here, uh, Spock knocks Achilles down and runs over to do the Vulcan nerve pinch to Flavius. So the guard moves in. Or the guards move in, and they hold Spock as the head guard declares a clear foul, and he asks Claudius' decision. And Claudius defers to Merrick, who is a total bitch, and he's like, no, 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 I don't want to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't want to make that decision. Like, this was your manhood moment. If you would have made a decision, yeah. <laughs> you would have got some respect. How dare you not make a decision? Nope. This, is, this is step one. Like, I'm going to give you a shot. Uh, it's up to you. No, yeah. bro, pick something. Either right. pick, let him live, or let him die. But he was so scared to pick, make a choice that you make the wrong choice, you look like a sucker. Sorry, sir, but make a choice. Yeah. 
but Claudius is just like, all right, well, then, Kirk, you decide. And he asks Kirk if uh, he would like them to kill him now or for an easy death. Uh, then he could just accept whatever happens to him. And Kirk doesn't answer. He just stands there stoically. And Claudius uh, has them taken back to their cage. Uh, and then he has Kirk taken to his quarters. And I feel like it's like, here's one of my issues with this scene particularly is that Claudius is all about, you know, being a man and only the strong survive. And then you're going to punish people for not following rules that you probably didn't explain to them. I don't think that McCoy and Spock knew that it was supposed to be individual one-on-one battles. They were put there together. Why wouldn't they help each other out? But you can't be like only the strong survive and manly men. And we're going to test these guys out. We ain't going to tell them the rules. (laughs) And they're going to get in trouble for shit. If he would have set up in his thing, here are the rules. One yeah. versus one, fight to the battle, fight to the death, and then he did his big grand grandiose yeah. thing. Then you punish and then the fight going on. Rules. Be like, yo, did I tell you one on one? You know, you break the yeah. rules. The rule is you die or something like that. You know, break the rules. You can put the death or whatever it is. You know, it'd have been smarter. I get what you're saying. Maybe they didn't do it because of the whole uh, Triskelion thing when they had the rules of their big board game fight. <laughs> they didn't follow them at all. <laughs> can't step off this square. Can't step on this one. This Immediately broke the rules and didn't say shit. So now the writers are like, no more rules in the no show. No more rules. Now we come back from commercial break and Kirk is led into Claudius's chambers and the uh, blonde woman from before comes in from behind a curtain and she says that she was told to wait for him. She says that she was there to, yeah, to provide food and wine and whatever else he wants. And she says uh, she's Claudius's slave and her name's Drusilla. But for the evening, she's Kirk's slave. And I'm like, well, he's done. He gives up. Like, he's going to order his people now. I'm staying here forever. I'm moving in. Yep. Uh, she tells Kirk to command her. And he looks around and he tells her that whatever the... Uh, pro console has in mind it's not gonna work and he's like wandering around the, the room yelling at the sky and he's like i'm he's not like, going to cooperate he's like when is ashton kutcher gonna pop out and say you've been punked yeah. <laughs> it's like working on me yeah so he's like walking around and she comes up behind him and puts her hand on his shoulder and uh, she says that they're all alone and uh elsewhere spock is trying to break out of the cell and mccoy asks if uh, he's angry or frustrated and spock says that those emotions are foreign and he's simply testing the strength of the door McCoy notes that he's doing it for the 15th time. So Spock continues to search for a weakness and McCoy approaches him and gets weirdly sentimental. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I I know we kind of give each other shit, uh, but like, hey, you know, you saved me in the arena. And Spock's like, yes, yes, I did. (laughs) So (laughs) McCoy gets mad and he says, he's like, hey, I'm trying to thank you. And uh, he calls Spock a pointed eared hobgoblin. And Spock says that human have, humans have this emotional need to express gratitude. And he just is like, okay, then I guess I'm supposed to say you're welcome. And he reminds McCoy that he's motivated by logic and that the loss of the ship's surgeon would mean that a reduction in the uh, efficiency of the Enterprise. So McCoy then grabs Spock and tells him, he's like, you're not afraid to die because you're more afraid of living. And a really weird tone shift here. And he says that uh, each day that Spock stays alive is just one more day that he might slip and let his human half peek out. I I feel like Bones has been sitting on that one for a while. Yeah, and he used it at the wrong time. Uh, But he says that Spock is insecure and that he wouldn't know what to do with a genuine, warm, decent feeling. And Spock, like, kind of turns away, does, like, that dramatic, like, soap opera turn away from the guy you're talking to. Like, and uh, then he turns back and faces him and he's like, uh, really, doctor? Like, that's all he says. He's just like. (laughs) Really? Like you're going with this right now? And McCoy, uh, he's like, yeah, I know. He, he says he's all, he's worried about Jim as well. 
Which is, this part made me laugh because they're both sitting in a cage and like you're really worried about Kirk. Like you know what he's doing right now, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, what's funny is that like this cut I think is intentionally comedic because they go to Kirk and he's just having a drink with Drusilla. They're like, yeah, we're worried about. We're all just worried that he's he's not going to make it, and then he's just over there having a drink with this woman. Yeah, it would have been. And, yeah, he, if they use the uh, the music, the music cues they used to use back in the day. The show, like the light and the heart of, of it all, I think it would have worked out better. Going, going back to Kurt, yeah. Uh, but she uh, says that she was ordered to please him, and he says that he's been in some strange world with some strange customs, and that maybe this is considered tortured on torture on this planet. And she doesn't understand what he's talking about, but she says she doesn't want to see him tortured in any way. And then she kisses him, and he's like, "Not, not even a little bit of torture, like <laughs> can we, just like just a little." <laughs> uh, she asks if uh, he'll tell her uh, at the first sign of pain, and he says that she'll be the first to know. And then they they kiss again, and I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, this yeah. is stupid as shit. <laughs> that- my favorite thing about this is they like pan up to like a you know like a chandelier with candles yeah. on it, and then the like we fade to show so the, the time has passed and the candles aren't there anymore, and it just yeah. they had sex. That's all that means. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, like, and Bones yeah. and Spock are worried about what Kirk's doing right yeah. now. <laughs> and Kirk's still wearing his clothes. Like, it's weird that yeah. he didn't... Like, I thought maybe he passed out drunk. Like, no. we had, Kirk, like Kirk has sex with all of his clothes on. Mm. There's no two ways about that. Kirk doesn't take his shirt or his pants off for nobody. He figures it out. He doesn't have time to get undressed and redressed. He's got a <laughs> chip to run. Ladies to please, and they don't have time for getting naked in between. That that should be a slogan. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit later, Kirk is sleeping, and he's awakened by Claudius. And he like looks around the bed, and he's like, where'd she go? Was it all a dream? Uh, but Claudius apologizes, because he was he was being detained. And then we uh, cut to a shot of him on the being held captive on the roof by Sauron. And then he tells Sauron that the... Lord Sauron does not share power, and then he jumps off and gets saved by an eagle, and then that's when he meets Kirk. And he's yeah. like, I, I was detained. <laughs> uh, that was a long way to go for that joke. I'm sorry it didn't land right. Uh, he says that uh, Kirk has been kept busy, and it's no wonder he slept through the afternoon. <laughs> like, hey, she really hey. took it out of him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, wow, that, that lady, huh? I know. <laughs> she's, she's my slave, too. <laughs> uh, Kirk notices a few guards at the door. As uh, Claudius says that one of the communicators uh, communicators that they took from Kirk is missing. And he's like, was it Drusilla? And then Merrick enters the room and uh, Claudius has him search Kirk for the uh, communicator. Claudius says that he wouldn't have punished Drusilla and that he would have blamed Kirk if that was what happened. And he says Kirk is a Roman, or at least he should have been. And uh, Merrick does not find a communicator on Kirk. So Claudius apologizes again for being busy. And uh, Kirk says that, he just wants an explanation for everything. And Claudius is like, yeah, I owe you one because you're a man. And he says that Kirk is going to die shortly because he is a man. And he asks Merrick to leave. Beat the man. Yeah. And this is, I think, the point Paul is waiting for because he asks Merrick to leave. And he says that the thoughts of one man to another can't possibly interest him. And I find out my nose is you Damn, out, bro. Got Never him. in my life have I heard something so rude, yeah. bro. Like, this, this is for men. Bad. You can't the, the be thoughts here. thoughts of men to men are not. The, oh, my goodness, bro. I was like, like, you're like, basically a woman. The thoughts of men and men to another can't possibly interest you? Yo, no. <laughs> no. This, this, I'm not leaving nothing. We, we're not leaving until we have this conversation now. Like, when did you call me? <laughs> like, I 
I was starting to think up to this point that there was going to be a betrayal. And then after that line, I'm like, there's going to be a betrayal. Yeah, like... <laughs> Merrick's like, excuse me? Excuse But the thing is, he left the room quietly, too. Like, yeah, oh, no, nah, bro, yeah. no. Nah. I ain't leaving quietly. Yo. We ain't going nowhere till we solve this issue. <laughs> like, you were like what you said to me. Nah, bro. I'm getting, I'm getting shot. <laughs> like, the, those yeah. guns every, those, all the guards everywhere, we're fighting. Like, those, those are fighting words, bro. The thoughts yeah, of men don't can possibly interest you. <laughs> Woo! Like, like even though Jerry already co-wrote this, made this whatever, and I thought it was going to be terrible. There are some like good moments in here. That moment right there, yeah. Let me you, know. You that, can tell yeah. he only co-wrote it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, right there's there. no way that's a Gene Broddenberry line, bro. That that is that is a that is a line right there. That's an like good, very good writing, an amazing line. I just w- yeah. what a way to. Uh, what a way to show the disdain he had for this numeric guy and to show the respect for Kurt at the same, like he, he respect how tough Kurt was and everything while, while so disrespect he had for the other guy and how he easily gave in and how he's, he's uh, adapted to this, whatever. And he would respect him more if he would have fought harder for whatever, because he keeps, yeah. he, he, the whole time he'd been noticing, he'd be like, well, I've, I've, I've had a ship captain here before and you'll, you'll give it. It's like he gave it. And, and he's like solely mocking Merrick the whole episode. Yeah. And you're like, nah, maybe I'm reading <laughs> Poor to Merrick's him. just sitting yeah, over there in the yeah, chair. He's like, yeah, look, Merrick's sitting like, like, a, like, a, like a whipping boy the whole time. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, whipping boy. And, and it's not that bad. You're like, oh, you know, I had a cap before. You're going to give in just like he gave in. Like, it's we're not until this moment right here. I was like, okay, as a Merrick, you got to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> like, yeah. like you, you have to. Like, how do you get past this? He's probably you, you hated know, Merrick the whole time, too. Like, before Kirk even showed yeah, up. Yeah, but imagine this. Okay, Kirk does something that gets away. How do I stay your number two after he said that to me? Right. Well, uh, yeah, after Kirk leaves, tricks us all because he, he's Kurt and gets away. If I don't do this, the, the betrayal at the end, how, how, do we, how are we still together? Yeah. Like, I, I don't get oh. it. Why, 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 why do you think there's so much betrayal in the actual Roman Empire? Because the <laughs> Roman emperors are just dicks. Just they put each other down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, each but, other like, but, yeah, but the jealousy, like if you ever look at history, a lot of the jealousy is rooting in the uh, like power. That they're jealous you can get AI more power than them. You know, whatever, right? A lot of times they don't, uh, the, the person of power, they're not talking about the people. That, they don't have power like this. You know, this I have power and you don't, so you do what I say. I'm not openly mocking you. You know, right in front of your face and think it's okay. <laughs> like, right. nah, bro. These are fighting words. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Uh, my, so bad. I rant. my fault, people. I went on the rant. I just, that line really ha- had me going. I was oh, like, no, yeah. we, 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 we got to fight. Now, Paul, if you ever want to disrespect someone at work. The thoughts of man pretending you were talking man to man. You know, have, <laughs> yeah, what? you go somewhere else. You go somewhere else. Yeah, so, uh, so Merrick does leave. And Claudius tells Kirk that uh, he gave him some last hours as a man, and Kirk is like, "I appreciated that. Like, I was, can I get more <laughs> yeah. hours as a man, please?" <laughs> uh, Claudius says that they have to demonstrate the defiant that defiance is intolerable, and uh, he's learned to respect Kirk, so he promises that he's going to die easily and quickly. And Kirk thanks him. He's like, "Well, thank you. <laughs> what about my friends, though?" <laughs> and Claudius says that uh, it'll be the same for them when their time comes. So he has the guards take Kirk to the arena. Uh, he says that they've preempted 15 minutes on the early show for him in full color, and he guarantees a splendid audience, which there ne- never actually was an audience there. Yeah. Uh, Scotty gives a log, weird middle of the this the episode, like middle, no no commercial break, just a weird log here right in the middle of everything. And he says that all the banks are ready for uh, disruption of power sources on the planet's surface. 
And we go to the back to the planet, and the announcer announces that they have a simple execution before their first heat. And Claudius tells the executioner to make it a quick single thrust. And the executioner tells Kirk not to move, or he'll only die harder with a vengeance. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you for that one. Uh, Flavius uh, then runs out of the stage because for some reason he was not being held backstage anywhere. Like your prisoner, former slave, escaped slave, Dude, where, he's not where, being where, held in the cage anywhere. From? Yeah. Where did he come uh, from? He, and then uh, second of all, like a little bit later, they say, oh, we're going to do this to man to man, pull out swords. That dude went, went for his gun and blew him away pretty quick. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you already admitted a gladiator show. Why don't you just let uh, like flavor down on, on, on TV? With, yeah, let him fight the, uh, the executioner. Yeah, let my executioner ask you to fight him or whatever, kill him, and then get the whole, and get the ratings for it. Yeah, so this I, 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 I will say it's kind of off-putting seeing Romans with guns because it just feels <laughs> very unnatural. Yeah. Uh, but this is legitimately one of my favorite, most unexpected scenes in this entire episode. Because, like, Flavius comes running out, and he's like, oh, if you want death, you can fight me. And then he attacks the guard. And then a guard with a, a submachine gun shoots Flavius. Kirk yes. grabs that guard, or grabs the uh, executioner's <laughs> a human shield. And the guard shoots that shoots the human shield while he's shooting at Kirk. And then Kirk uses his sword to take out the guard with a gun and another one. And oddly enough, all of that happened in Star Trek in 1968. Like there is a dude getting mowed down, a human shield getting blasted. Kirk stabs a guy and beats up another guy all within like five seconds. I was like, Jesus, like where did any of this come from? <laughs> That was an absolutely amazing scene. I think I watched it like four or five times because it's just so out there. Like, it's not something I thought would happen in Star Trek. And it was so fast. Like, that's so unlike this series. They didn't drag it out. Oh, it was insane. Uh, but we go back to the Enterprise and Scotty orders Chekhov to activate their beams. And then we're back on the planet again. And Kirk grabs a gun and then the power cuts out. And a guard shoots at him, but Kirk gets away before the lights can come back on. And uh, he goes to apparently like right around the corner where Spock and McCoy are being held. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he shoots the uh, the locks on the, the cell to free them. And they ask what happened. And he says he doesn't have time to explain, which he's right. He doesn't. There's more guards show up with Claudius. Hold on. Hold on. I, I do want to point out, doesn't Spock have really good hearing? Yes. yes. <laughs> he like right he the shot corner. that submachine gun right next to Spock. <laughs> <Yeah. That's laughs> which if you ever fired a gun, it's not loud anyway. <laughs> Yeah, just ruined his hearing. Mike's like, hold on. Spock's like, hold on a second. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but more guards show up with Claudius. Uh, but Claudius tells them not to shoot because they have Kirk and the crew surrounded and they would just hit each other, which is a good detail for this because they do, like, they come out of this cell and the cell is in a hallway and the guards are on both ends of the hallway. And if they were to shoot at these guys, they would just hit the guys on the other end. So, like, good detail noticing for whoever wrote that one. Um, Merrick shows up. And Claudius just berates him again, and he says that he pities him, but uh, at least he can watch and see how men die. <laughs> and he, used, he tells the Bro, guards just to use their just, swords. He just quit twisting that knife. He said, I pity you, but he, now you can see how real men die. Like, oh, twist the knife a little bit more. Like, all oh, it's like that, huh? Yeah. The guards attack the crew with the swords, and Kirk uses uh, his gun, which apparently has no bullets, to knock a sword from the guards' hands. Spock picks that sword up, and then Kirk gets one as well. And they fight off the guards. Uh, Merrick uses the communicator that he apparently stole, so that was him the whole time. 
And he calls the Enterprise to tell them to lock in and beam up three of something, but then he's interrupted when Claudius stabs him in the back with a dagger. And that was like, not the betrayal. Yeah, I like he'd been waiting for that moment. Yeah, that was not the betrayal I saw coming. I was sure it was going to be Merrick killing Claudius, not the other way around. But it turns out Claudius was right the whole time. Merrick yeah. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the irony of um, Roman Empire stabbing in the back like Julius Caesar. Yeah. Yep. Like, like it was... Uh, it was kind of cool like that, and, but then uh, as this episode, as it keeps going along, whatever, I just I thought this this end part, this end fight scene was cool. I just think it could have been done better. Like I I did like yeah. everything that happened in it. I just feel like it should have been reorganized and and done a little bit better. I'm not sure how you would make it different, but I I want right. everything to happen, everything to happen there to happen just in a different order and more. I don't know, just more. more even the problem to the with this scene is you have a bunch of people using melee weapons in a tight space and none of them are like trained fighters like there's no real choreography so it's going to come out awkward yeah it's like they kind of have to funnel through the uh the cell door and all of that like if you would get like the team behind john wick to redo this now it would probably be insane but like for the time yeah and they're trying right. to hurry it up and, and like wrap this episode up like yeah it could have been better but like i understand it for the time yeah, I just think that it's a little, little, little unorganized. That's it. Small complaint yeah. about that fight. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, it's always one of those things, too, like in these big fights where, like, Kirk's fighting somebody and, like, Spock's fighting somebody, McCoy's fighting somebody, but there's three guards also standing there doing nothing. Like, nobody's standing and waiting their turn in a fight like this. Like, yeah. This, this isn't, you know, like a, an Asian martial arts movie. Like, nobody's, <laughs> like, they're not surrounding you and then going in one at a time. Like, just, you know, stab the guy, you know? Uh, but we do get a really quick throwaway scene here of McCoy throwing a pillow at a guard. And I didn't have to make a note of that, but I just thought that it was funny. And I don't know why they threw that scene in there. It was like literally just like a quick flash. He just throws a pillow at a guard. I like, thought it was, okay. a, was it a pillow or was it a mattress? I thought it was a mattress. It might have been a mattress, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. He, like un, unnecessary for them to show, but he's like, I'm helping. And just like throws <laughs> stuff. Uh, but Merrick stumbles around and... Uh, he throws the communicator to Kirk, or to the Kirk, yeah. He throws uh, the communicator to the Kirk, Kirk, and uh, Kirk closes a cell door with himself and Spock and McCoy inside, which is a smart move, but except for the fact that he just shot the locks and it probably doesn't actually latch anymore. Uh, Scotty is heard saying through the communicator that he's ready to beam up three, and the crew are beamed up as the guards just start shooting at them, which is a really good moment, like really nice tension in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we cut to a little bit later, and Kirk is giving a captain's log, noting okay, that what's Scotty... one second before we get past this. So I never saw Kirk bend down and pick up that communicator. I, 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 I only saw remember. the communicator hit the ground. I never seen anybody pick I, up the communicator. So I Kirk did no, no, nobody picked it up. I, I, I watched it multiple times since I'm sitting here looking at it. So did the communicator beam up? Is it a beam up also? Is that a, is that right. a separate thing? Or did it stay? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm curious. I would have to go back and look because I don't remember seeing that. Now that you mention it, but it's not something I would have paid attention to. I guess I would have just assumed that it happened. Yeah, that he, he never. He, as soon as um, Merrick throws the uh, communicator in, uh, he Kurt turns and it uh, get it beams up. So yeah. I'm just. I don't understand. I guess I, I'm not curious. I'm curious. Was the I thought the communicator was the, was the reference to to beam or was it um, I don't know just a little bit interesting. Well, do they do they all carry communicators at all times though? Because they've been beamed up before. When I think some people don't have a communicator, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just like the maybe they're able to like kind of like 
triangulate. Like, yeah, well, I know that. I mean, we know that they can scan the planet and see how many people are there. So maybe they can look at the positioning of people and go like, okay, those three are obviously the three that we want. Like, let's get but, them out. But leaving a communicator, does that break the top prime directive? Yeah, but they, it's already been done anyway. So what do they care? Well, okay. Like, uh, that's something, that that's, anyway. some, that's something, something for the end of the episode, actually. But yeah, I'll get into that. Yeah. We go a little bit later. Kirk is giving a captain's log, noting that he wants Scotty to receive a commendation. And he says that uh, despite personal feelings and strong temptation, Scotty obeyed the prime directive. He's the only one. Actually, he really didn't, though, because he interfered with everything. But the power and all that. Do you think they just give him like a big bottle of whiskey? Like, yes. here you go. And he's like, oh, great. Another, you know, afternoon drink. Uh <laughs> And uh, he says that Scotty's temporary blackout of the city below resulted in no interference, but saved the landing party. At this point, Spock and McCoy enter the bridge, and McCoy notes that uh, he saw in Kirk's report that Flavius was killed, and he says that he's sorry about that, and he liked that huge sun worshiper. Uh, Spock wishes that they could have examined their beliefs more closely. He says it seems logical for a sun worshiper to develop a philosophy of total brotherhood, as sun worship is usually a primitive superstition religion. And this is where just shit falls apart for me. They had to wait until the very, very end. Uhura turns around and she's like, hey, Spock, you got it all wrong. She says she was monitoring some of their radio waves and the Empire spokesman was trying to ridicule their religion, but he couldn't because they weren't worshipping the sun in the sky, but the son of God. Kirk notes that they had both Caesar and Christ and the word is only now starting to spread. McCoy says that uh, it's a philosophy of total love and brotherhood. Spock says it'll replace Imperial Rome, but uh, it'll happen in their 20th century. Kirk thinks that it would be something to watch and see happen all over again. And he has this big, goofy smile on his face. And he tells Chekhov to take him out of orbit, and then they just continue on and do their thing. Who wants to start yeah. us out with this one? I, can I Can I go first? Yeah, yes. go ahead. You know, uh, the... I guess one of my overall, I did enjoy this episode. One of my big problems is is that were the odds that they would stumble across the planet that would have kind of the same history as what we do, but just the Roman Empire lasts a lot longer than later on. You know, Christianity comes along. I feel like a parallel universe would have made more sense than in universe. I could see that. Yeah. Well, they um, I think they referenced earlier. The uh, the scientist theory on where the, eventually they'll find parallel Earths with the same history. Uh, then he referenced the guy who says that. Uh, well, true, but I guess I I mean I, I get why they do it, but they're always coming across human civilizations that you know either gangsters or Nazis yeah, 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 yeah. or I, medieval times. Like they don't think that's something kind of like oh that's that's kind of BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I I do like overall I did like the episode because I do like. The, the thought of the Roman Empire, I just felt that it would have worked in a, like, a parallel universe instead of just like, oh, hey, this happened somewhere else, you know, in our universe, but mm. it just kind of played out differently. Like, you want to have the same names of Julius Caesar and, you know, Augustus. Like, there's just no way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, over, I, I, overall, I thought it was a good episode, just, I, I guess, minor complaints about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say that I actually really, really enjoyed this episode and the, the shooting stuff <laughs> was wild. Like it's so, it was so not like the stuff that we've seen before, like them getting shot at while they're hiding behind trees and you know, one guy gets blasted and then a human shield gets blasted. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of really good stuff. I, like I said before, I really liked 
the villain, the antagonist of this episode. I think he was very well played, well written. Uh, and like he got the best of Kirk at basically every turn. And Kirk only escaped this because of plot armor. Like that's he was so outmatched during this whole thing that he only got away because the plot says he had to. And uh, I was really worried when I saw the Gene Roddenberry co-wrote this and uh, I was relieved like basically through most of it that he didn't put like like pull an Omega glory on us and then he did at the end because I feel like the sun worship and like the Jesus and the God stuff it was like weak like and it was unnecessary like what was the point of any of that like it, it led to absolutely nothing you again another thing you could have cut out of the episode and not have lost anything like I just I don't see the reason for that like it didn't lead to anything but also the other thing that i like about this is that it's not even though they they came away from it like happy like haha well we got out of that one like the planet still sucks like there's still slavery you didn't do anything for the better and like i know you're not supposed to because of the prime directive thing but like i do like that the bad guy won kind of in this one and like they basically had to like tuck their tails and run like they couldn't do anything about any of this but i feel like they were too happy about it in the end uh but other than that I mean, I really, I did. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought, I thought it was fantastic. Um, just that the, again, the religion stuff was just out of place. Like, I, I don't see the point in any of it. You could have gotten by the entire episode without it. But that's it. Paul, you want to give us your thoughts on this one? Yeah. Um, I thought the religion part was put in there. Uh, it was forced in there, not put in there intelligently. And me being like Christian or whatever, I always like enjoy when religion is put in stuff, but this is just kind of forced to not put in there intelligently. Like there could have, they could have really made, if you were going to put that in this episode, you could have did it very, could have put it in there more to make it uh, a better, a better thing at the end, like a better result. Like if you had put it in there more and made it more clever, I think that we, it could have worked. It just wasn't a very, this wasn't very clever. Like it wasn't very clever. It was forced. Also, um, we're talking about him not breaking the prime directive, but I remember in the Adam and Eve episode where um, they go, he breaks the prime directive after the Cleons break the prime directive to to make it balance it out. So once, so once uh, Merrick broke the prime directive or whatever, him breaking the prime directive to make things make things uh, uh, at the end to figure things yeah, out should have been okay. Yeah, at that point, all bets are off. Yeah, because yeah, because he, he broke it. He, he he broke it by telling Merrick everything. And I love the, like, once you brought up the, the, once you mentioned how good the villain was, I started, like, really thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, this villain is pretty good. Like, I guess I never, I was enjoy I didn't dislike him. I just didn't realize how much I was enjoying him until he said something about it. But then a couple, you know, the way he was treating Merrick, bro, nah. <laughs> you can't talk to me like that, bro. <laughs> you can't talk to me like that. Like, still, still, like, when I heard him say it the first time, I went back and listened to it again. I'm like, no, this, these are real fighting words. Man are talking. He, he go over there, like, go over there to the kitty table. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hold up. Go to what now? Like, that was real harsh. Um, uh, your speech at the end was just kind of, like I said, that's part of the whole not putting the religion part in there more intelligently. I did like the sun thing once they said it, but I was at this point, I was like, oh, my gosh, this could have been so much better if they did it clever. Did much clever, kind of like the the the, the Adam and Eve episode with the Cleons or whatever. I thought it was much better. Um, overall, the episode was okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not my my. I enjoyed it. Like I I enjoyed it. I'm just critiquing it as in like not very not very good writing. 
like the idea was good. The episode was good. It was just, uh, uh, the, it was very sloppily written in there a little bit here and there. But Gene Roddenberry has a, a habit of uh, trying to stuff meetings into episodes without um, building up. Yeah, he doesn't fully flush them out. Yeah. Like at the end, he's like, oh, yeah, this is the big message. It's like, wait a minute, bro. Well, you spent 40 minutes not getting to that point. You just get into the, like, get to build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, and then get to that major point. Don't bring it up at the beginning, do 40 minutes of nothing, and the last minute, like, oh, yeah, right. dude, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah. bro, you can't do that. Like, yeah, there's no buildup. It's, it's the front It's the front of the joke, then there's got to be some buildup, build up, and then the punchline. He goes, this, forget about it, then punchline. It's like, oh, bro, you didn't even give us, you didn't even build it up at all. Why yeah, would you not do that? That's a good point, because they only talked like, about, just, you know, the sun, really, in the beginning of the episode, then it, yeah. In the beginning of the episode, yeah. He, they never even brought it up, like... They never even brought up in disdain. Like if the if the villain had been like many sun sure they drive us crazy. All this brotherhood that they're complaining about it, but they never even brought about it. They were so focused on the slavery and the fighting part that it was about. They could add more fights, more people being like, you know, I worship the sun, so I'm, I won't fight. And then peaceful killing people that want to be peaceful yeah. on screen. You know, they could have been like, oh, I'm a sun worshiper, so I won't fight. And it, it could have been like a thing like, yo, these sun worshippers won't fight the whole time. They could have been more references to that, you know? that They could have killed uh, the uh, flavor guy. Wait, you know, Paul, that, if they said, that oh, would I actually worked out pretty well, Paul, because in actual history, when they tried to put some Christians in the gladiator games, they just refused to fight, and they would get torn apart. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean to go on a big rant about it. I just think that like there was so they they could have if they were going the ending. I was like, okay, that's okay, but they could have got to it so much better instead of just throwing yeah, in there right. at the end. Like I don't know. I'm just I'm being, but like I said, I'm, I'm only critical because I enjoyed the episode, not because I'm right. trying to and, like, dog the, it out. I feel but like it, it could have been better. Would be better served if they would have just cut all of that out. Like I feel like every time we have an episode where they throw like a little bit of the belief system stuff in, I'm always like, man, they like that didn't make any sense. Like they shouldn't have done it. And it's not that I'm like against having a system of beliefs. Like, you know, people are free to believe whatever they want to. But I feel like if you're going to have that, make it the focal point of the episode. Like if you're going to do it, go all in on it. Don't, you know, donate a couple of minutes to at the beginning and then act like it's supposed to be this big thing at the end. Like make that the focal point of the episode. Like stop giving us just like little tidbits of stuff that don't make sense because it just... Like hurts I agree, what is otherwise at that a good point, episode. In the episode, the the sun worship was an afterthought. Yeah, didn't didn't serve a purpose basically. Like could have cut it out, wouldn't have made a difference. But if you had an entire episode based around it, and then you know the reveal at the end would have actually meant something to whatever they had written before that. Like then I would have right. been fine with that. So it's not that I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want your religion in my show. It's just that if you're gonna, it, it, that pertains to anything. Like it doesn't matter what they were talking about. Like. Any topic that they put in there, if you donate that little time and you don't develop it, just cut it out. Like you don't, you don't need it. Yep. Yeah. The episode, the private little war. That's the one where yeah. the the Cleons end up giving the other people the guns, and then then Kurt has to give the guns to other people. Like, and that had, and that had religion all up in it. The Adam and Eve thing had a religion all up in it. Right. And had really all up in it. But it was done so clever and so good that at the end, I was like, "Yo, this is really." And that's why I broke it down to you guys because like, it was oh, amazing. You guys didn't see this. Point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it like it made focal point and it kept reverence the whole time, whatever. And it's like I don't know, I just oh, my episode could have been this episode could have been really good. Yeah. Like, like but, I felt like it could have been clever. But Gene Roddenberry episodes are, are not good, bro. I know it like, sucks you, to say that because he made Star Trek, not, but it's like guy was not it, a good it's writer. Weird. He's a creator, but his episodes are bad. Yeah, not the best writer. Like it's it, 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 it's it's very weird. 
And I, I even like his other show, like some of the other shows he has, and I like those, but I just think that it's weird. And like, I don't know for sure, but I feel like the sun worship stuff in this was his contribution. Like, because it's just, yeah. it, no, no, you it's know, so it contrasted like to the, against the other no, stuff. It, it definitely was like everything else it, is it really was, tightly written. And then this is just like sun God. Yep. Yeah. Like when, it, when it comes to him, you notice a uh, religion and um, American flag, the American like flag war, thing. Yeah. Like war stuff. Yeah, yeah, the war thing. Yeah. It's it's always like this, like a uh, message you try to insert in whatever he's doing, trying to force feed it in there. Like, look, I just want to be entertained, man. Much as gladiators, <laughs> come on. Um, in color, yeah, in color. Uh, but our next episode is going to be the last one of season two. Finally, we're going to make it episode twenty-six, and it is Assignment Earth. The Enterprise goes back in time and discovers a mysterious stranger trying to interfere with twentieth-century events. Ooh, we get another time travel one. Nice, that maybe might be interesting. Um, also, before we, before we get away from this one. Uh, when you read it last time about uh, McCoy and Spock being put in the arena, mm-hmm. I thought they were going to be fighting each other. I didn't expect them to be fighting on the same team. Oh, just, yeah. Just a quick, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, they're on the same side. Okay, I thought they were going to be like pitted against each other. <laughs> I was really ready for that. But uh, but either way, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have anything else for this. Do you guys have anything else? Uh, no, make sure to go to our Twitter at uh, WWST underscore podcast. And uh, I appreciate, no, just another day, man. Just watching episodes, one more episode, season almost over. Uh, I'm really enjoying that journey. So uh, let's get it. Let's go. Yep. So with that one, uh, we will catch you guys on the next one. Later. Later. <laughs>